0: This episode of the Rolling Thunder podcast is presented by Mossy Oak Camouflage because everything is better in bottomland and Lucky Duck Premium
1: Decoys, masters of deception. Welcome to another episode of the Rolling Thunder podcast. Again, we we're at Feather's Chapel. Spence, what's up, man? Yo, yo, yo. How are you? I'm doing great. We're my buddy and I are heading to Kansas Thursday night. He, he said, "Hey, let's, you know, we need to get together and we need to plan a Kansas trip next year. I was like, That sounds cool. And then he texts me a couple like a couple hours later and says
0: How about this year? How about
1: now? Yes. <laughs> those are my favorites. <laughs> so, you know, didn't didn't really have it in the plans, but we just said And are y'all going to okay. Kansas
0: like to see the migration of uh, of the you know, Sandhill Cranes or what are y'all going to Kansas for? Go try to get our first Rios. I love it. So love it. speaking of first do you know what we have right here in front of me? This is the 2021 bottle of Wild Turkey 101, mm. which is a relatively uh spiritual.
1: Yeah, we need a full uh, put your mic down there. <laughs> uh
0: for the for the poor we have not been together uh in the same place long enough to toast the King of Spring and and this was your first this year. Was. And uh so, these, uh, what do you call these kind of glasses? Is there a proper, proper name for them? I'll like, probably call them a tumbler. like a, Okay. Or a high wall. Well, 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 these are, best I can tell, these are from the early 50s. This was my great-grandfather, whom I'm named after. Whom? Who? For whom. whom? Okay, for whom I'm named after. Roy Spencer Sanford. This was his set. And I only pull these out on, uh, on, on appropriate occasion, so man. Uh, cheers, cheers my you. friend, on I number one, hope you. you get number two this weekend, <laughs> me too, oh, man. Oh. Woo. feels like turkey season,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't normally drink this late during turkey season, do you, <laughs> ah,
0: <just kidding. laughs> who's, who's asking, <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding, uh, yeah. I don't usually drink Wild Turkey One Hundred and One over the rocks <laughs> during right. turkey season, but it's,
1: I appreciate it, man. That's worth every <laughs> every bit of it. But uh, well, speaking of memories, uh oh. So I, I was home. So for those of you who don't know, which is most everyone <laughs> listening to the podcast, yeah. My aunt Deborah uh, was Spence's high school English teacher. Yeah. So, so, she was, was she was going through some things today. Oh, gosh. She pulled no out something. <laughs> <laughs> she pulled out something. And uh, something I think that you'll really appreciate. And I haven't shown this to Spence yet. Uh-oh. Oh, cool. That's something he wrote <laughs> as a 16-year-old.
0: Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> I still know where all these pictures are. Well, it's good to get the the originals
1: back there too. But
0: man, this picture right here—I've posted describe it it for us. This first picture is uh, at the boat ramp, Lake Mm -hmm. behind Lake Ashball. This is the Winchester boat ramp, and we hunted. That's my dad and my uncle, and that's Sandy, first yellow lab that we had, and that's his—that's Sandy's dad, Will. Um, So that's a father-daughter duo there on the. On the on the dog front, this is Wayne Westmoreland and Pete Westmoreland. Wayne Westmoreland is a general surgeon in Middle Tennessee, and he's my uncle's classmate in medical school. Okay, and uh, he's basically our connection to Middle Tennessee turkeys. That's where I killed I killed my first turkey at his place, and um, so did my dad, so did my uncle, and like this spring, chasing spring went there. That's awesome. Uh, Hunter Wallace went there. Yeah, we still kill turkeys on. Wayne's brother-in-law's place, place. Rich. Mm-hmm. And then that's Wayne's brother, Pete. Anyways, that day we hunted with a guy named Clarence Rose. And Clarence probably had, I don't know, one of the top two or three holes in the Winchester block. Um, Bobby Joe Willie probably had the, has the most famous hole, but Clarence's hole was just as good. He just Clarence wasn't an outfitter. He wasn't a guide. Okay. Bobby Joe was. Clarence's hole shortly after this picture, was redlined. Redlining in the public woods is when the game and fish or the, the, the game wardens go in with red paint, and they paint red lines all, all the trees around the perimeter of the hole. And that means that it can no longer be hunted, like it's off limits. It becomes a rest area. Oh. And they would do that whenever the, that spot had been manipulated. So if you went in there with a chainsaw and you started cutting trees down, they'd redline it. They'd make it a rest area. You can't artificially
1: uh, make it more ducky.
0: Right. So yeah. check this out. Cla- Clarence, God rest his soul. <laughs> uh, it, back in those days, we could go into the holes and clean them out. You could take okay. a weed eater, so a string trimmer. And and that one year there was even a rule about like a, a folding saw. Like you could cut stuff that was less than two inches in diameter or sure. three inches. Like, you know, it was a small small stuff, not big trees. <laughs> Um, and you could take four-wheelers for a, for a weekend or two. There was always a period of time. Well, Clarence would go into his hole with a tractor and a box <laughs> blade, and he would grade the bottom of his hole, and it would be flatter than a pancake. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was like hunting in, in the prettiest private place you've ever been. That's incredible. That's not why they redlined his hole. They redlined right. his hole because he cut some red oak trees that were big around this kitchen table, and he was hauling them out and selling them <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> he had bar stools, like, ch- not bar stools, but, like, bar stool chairs with, like, with the back on them. Yeah. And had, had... uh
1: I'm sure they were beautiful. Oh,
0: the the hole was unbelievable. He had, a, he had little holders for umbrellas, so if it was raining, I mean, you'd sit in these chairs and hunt. I mean, they were right about the water. It was, it was unbelievable. I mean...
1: Uh, uh, so it wasn't the box blade, it wasn't the tractor, but once you start hauling off public trees mm-hmm. and they're like, son, you can't
0: do that. This was in Brinkley, Arkansas, on BioDeVute, right off BioDeVute at Mill Lake. And uh, mm. that's pretty crazy. That was my first pickup truck right there, old F-150. Where is it now? Uh, It's been gone a long time. That was in 85.
1: Well, I wasn't sure if it ended up on a farm somewhere. Somebody bought Not, it as a knocker. I, I
0: don't know. Dad sold it. <clears throat> um, and, Is that your bronco? And then this, no, this was my dad's bronco. This was totaled. On he, he totaled this truck on the way um, on on his way hunting one morning. It it was it iced over about mm. halfway between West Memphis and Brinkley. He ran off the road and they crashed real bad. They got out of the truck, got the dogs out of the truck, and a semi wiped that truck out. Like the semi came down the backside of Crowley's Ridge. Oh, my goodness. And the semi fell over and slid, and they ran and got out of the way, and it just smoked the car. Anyways. (laughs)
1: That's another one of those moments when you just know the good Lord is (laughs) taking care of you.
0: That is our preacher, Dick Sisk, from Broadmoor Baptist Church. Okay. And uh, I still have that Columbia parka that my dad's wearing. I still have that jacket as well. That's a banded greenhead. This was the last day of duck season. I was probably 11 years old. Last day of duck season, we were hunting at Real Foot Lake with uh, the guy's last name is, uh, oh, it escapes me now. I'm going to think of it in just a minute. But anyways, we were done. That was the last duck of our limit. We stayed all day, and we killed a full limit of mallards and scrap ducks. And, and we're motoring out through the decoys and to here pick that duck woman. up. No, no, no. We oh, killed okay, it. You already we, shot We him. killed it. It was the last duck of duck season. Like, sun's down. It's dark. We, we ride out there. And they're like, here, pick it up, Spence. Picked it up. It was a banded greenhead. They're like, you know what, son? You can have it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
1: We'll, we'll post this one as the, the teaser picture so you can see what we're talking so about.
0: So what is this essay about? Why don't, don't you read remember. it for us? Holy cow. Are you serious? I'm
1: serious. It's only a page and a half. Golly. But when I read it earlier, I was like, This is <laughs> Spence has been Spence for a long time.
0: For a long time? Jeez. It's just what, a it's Do just we know what year was this written?
1: Well, I don't know. You're sixteenth, so you're a sophomore. All right. I'll read, but read, but I'll, read, that.
0: I'll read it and won't uh, it's called My Memory, I guess is the title of this essay. I have an abundance of great memories stored away in my brain. Many of my most fond memories are of days spent in the field hunting and fishing with my father and uncle and whomever they decided to bring. Memories have a way of sneaking back into our minds with only the slightest prompting. It's such a sweet feeling of delight and content when one of these finds its way back home to our hearts. That's a cool statement. Isn't it <laughs> This is 16-year-old sense. <laughs> but it's, it's so cool it's how true. little things, you bump into, like, whether it's a smell or whether yep. it's just a something sparks a memory and it's like it floods you. It's like you're right there. Well, I
1: mean, you went right back. To the ramp Yeah. I'm looking at those pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: You're right. You're right. I mean, you could say
1: who else you hunted with (laughs) that wasn't in the picture.
0: Yeah. By the way, in this picture, one of the funny things about these three geese, so I'm shooting an over-and-under shotgun right there. notice, yeah, it's over your shoulder. My uncle shot an over-and-under, so I had to have an over-and-under. I wanted to be just like my uncle. These geese came by, and we never shot dark geese or never shot honkers at this place. We were hunting in a rice field, and these geese flew over right before shooting time and I killed two of them. And, oh. and meanwhile, in the bottom of the blind, my uncle's going, you can't shoot honkers!" Boom, boom. I <laughs> killed the first two. And Somebody killed another one. Oh, God. I was so proud I doubled. And uh, <laughs> only to be told you can't do that. Anyways. Recently, I relived a bunch of these fond memories. With a young brother and a cousin around learning how to hunt and about all the things that come along with growing up, it has caused me to think back to the days of my boyhood. I'm 16 years old now, and each time my father asked my little brother if he'd like to come along on a hunting trip, the joy and anxiety that shine in his eyes spark memories left and right for me. I can remember the thrill of waking up before light and putting on lots of long underwear and socks. I can also remember the pride I felt as I got to hang out in a duck blind with four or five of my dad's friends. Standing there soaking wet, freezing to death in the cold, waiting for the sun to wake up and shine, I was an equal with any of the grown men out there, or at least I thought I was. I waited with the same feelings of excitement about hearing the wings of ducks you know are there, but that you can't see as any of the men around me did. Looking back, I'm so grateful to the men that I looked up to during those early years. Each one of them acted as if and treated me as if I was a grown man, just like the rest of them. They could have easily treated me as any normal kid and ruined my love for the sport. I'm able to enjoy one of America's favorite pastimes today as a result of a handful of old duck hunters who had enough humility to treat a snaggletooth eight-year-old as if he were a real man. I did have some snaggle teeth today. (laughs) Big chompers up front. (laughs) The memories of these men, some of whom are now dead, is one of my most treasured gifts from the Lord. Somewhere out there now, I know that an old duck hunter sits by a slow-burning fire with a sleeping Labrador retriever lying at heel, remembering back to his boyhood and the men who helped shape him into a grown man, while a sloppy-haired, snaggle toothed eight-year-old boy stands beside his father and friends, beaming with pride while in a duck blind waiting for their quarry. The respect these men showed to me when I was so undeserving will remain with me forever. I don't think I could ever consciously make a young kid feel like he's not special." The fact that I was treated with such respect by men much older and wiser than I instills the obligation in my heart to make sure each child I come into contact with feels like an equal. I firmly believe that second only to a few things, my memory is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to me. I beg you not to take your memory for granted and to do all you can to help that snaggletooth, sloppy-haired kid grow to have sweet memories of his own. <laughs> That's pretty wild. It's
1: pretty awesome, though. So. 16-year-old Spence. Well, that's pretty wild. That was not what I was expecting you to pull out. <laughs> what envelope. did you expect? It, <laughs> it, it does say know. Memphis title. I didn't buy you I a house. Know. I'm sorry. I thought about it. You bought you a house. That's I did good buy, We did buy a house. We're, we're getting it painted now. I'm done painting. I won't paint anymore. Painted painting my parents' house. That old, like, no. tax by a wasp and the whole deal. But anyway, so I figured you'd get a kick
0: out of that. It's pretty cool though because it is, you know, I'm 39, so that was 23 years ago. But one of the things I remember about my childhood was that um, none of my dad's friends treated me like a little kid. Yeah, and I just all, that always stuck with me, you know. And um, I don't know, I'm, I probably have done, I probably have made a lot of little kids feel like little kids. <laughs> I don't know. But, I mean, but, but I sure have not done it intentionally. I've sure not tried because that's one of those things that has stuck with me. It still means as much to me today as it did back then. Yeah. Like it, I, I vividly remember what it felt like to walk out of little kid world in the classroom of other little kids and be treated like a grown man. Yeah. At 10, you know, or yeah. 11 or whatever it was. And, and I remember being expected to act like that too, you know, I true. Mean, that was such a cool experience. And, uh, Anyways, it, golly, you got me rambling now. No, I think it's that's, well, that's, that's what podcasts are for,
1: man. But when I when I saw it and I read it, I was like, "Man, that sounds like <laughs> sounds like an episode." But, like you were writing them back then. <laughs> the journal's been around for a while. Now. It's been around for a minute. <laughs> I
0: it's, wish I I wish I had somebody in my life that made me sit and write stuff like that more often because it it's it's a weird therapy to put your thoughts on paper and in writing like that. Yeah. Yeah. As you well know. I do. <laughs> so I guess switching gears a little bit.
1: So Kansas. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's other people who whether we talked about freelance duck hunting in North Dakota, kinda mm-hmm. gave some advice for that. You got any you got any wisdom to impart on anybody who's hitting the road and going after long hmm. beards in foreign territory?
0: Yeah. Um. So the name of the game in Kansas is trees okay. and water, like
1: like big water or like just farm like
0: ponds, liquid water. Like, <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't really mean farm ponds. I mostly mean creeks. Creeks, okay. Um, but, and the reason I say farm ponds is I don't mean farm ponds because most of them out there are artificial. You know, they're cattle ponds. They're just sure. little drainages that somebody's dammed up. Um, but they don't usually have trees around them cause they're yeah. artificial, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they got cows and so they're, but I'm talking about drainages, creek bottoms. Yep. Um, and there's, they're easy to see on the aerial cause there's trees around them, right? Yeah. I mean, that's where, um, just how the good Lord designed the topography. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's where turkeys live. It's where they roost. It's where they nest. It's where they, it's where they're at. And so... If a man's going to Kansas looking for public turkey hunting, there's lots of ways to do it. You can put a decoy out there and sit there and call and deer hunt them all day, which I think isn't boring. Um, I have done a lot of that in my life. It's lifetime. a long way
1: to go to sit.
0: It is. Although I would I will say that if you're going to be out there, you might as well be hunting while it's... Daylight. So if you yeah. don't feel like walking and don't feel like driving, you ought to find you a spot and just sit. i have taking a lot of naps during the middle part of the day, and I've killed a lot of turkeys at <laughs> one o'clock in the afternoon just because I didn't want to take a nap in the hotel room. You know, sure, you ain't gonna kill one on the couch or the hotel room. Um, so Definitely you can not. You can take a nice nap in the shade, <laughs> you yeah, and in, in a in a uh, on a walk in area. And so, anyways, the the way that I do Kansas, if I'm or any other Western state, okay. If I'm going out there to public to hunt public, the way I do it is I pick a city that's got a restaurant typically that's open late enough to where after it gets dark, I like to allow myself enough time to roost a bird if I need to and still get back to town and eat because I find that if I go to sleep on an empty stomach, it's a bad deal for me. The next day, yeah. Well, that night, the next day, I'm grumpy. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. Spence <laughs> needs calories. Fair enough. Bad deal I think I for said everybody. this about North Dakota. <laughs> like, uh, well, you said you needed food, a shower, and a toilet. And a toilet. <laughs> yes, <laughs> those things. And the toilet is the least important of those three. <laughs> okay. Food and shower are very important, in my opinion. Uh, I'm not a sleep in the truck kind of a guy. Um, but so I try to find a hotel. I try to find. Uh, restaurant that's mm-hmm. going to be like even if it's just a you know not much of one but i try i like to sit down and eat a, eat a hot meal um and then from there the way that i hunt is is i just i find a, a a path that i can go and i'm essentially trolling just like you would for blue marlin or anything else i'm trying to make a big giant sweeping path through their area and so i'm, I'm not going to necessarily like pull up to a walk-in area hop out of the truck and yelp from the truck but i'm not going to also if it's a five hundred acre piece, I'm not gonna also walk the perimeter of the whole thing. I'm gonna try to like either walk through the middle of it, or yeah. cut across a corner, okay. or walk a drainage or something, um, because I can call far enough to you know
1: to make up for that. Exactly. You get on both sides exactly, yeah. and so
0: I try to I try to strategically use my time, and I'm just literally marching basically, trolling looking for a hot bird. Rios are notorious for walking. Um, giant loops and they're real notorious for basically doing the same thing every day in mm. a pattern and so some of those walking areas don't have um good roost trees on them some of them do if it's one that doesn't have a roost tree on it but there's a roost tree a mile away there may not be any turkeys there until 9 30 10 o'clock in the morning because they got to get there exactly yeah and so those kind of spots are actually the best ones because most hunters, like word gets around, eh, there's no turkeys roosted there. Everybody's trying to turkey hunt like a regular dude from the south. Like they go to a spot, they listen, they don't hear anything, they pack up and move. Well, that may just be a spot where a bird cuts through there in the middle of the day. Yeah. Um, well, it's
1: like what uh, Dr. Chamberlain was saying when we were we were talking to him a few weeks ago. It's just you're not on his schedule.
0: Yeah. And, I re- think that's and if you'll remember – he said something to the extent of the the radio collar studies on rios and marans yeah. are almost irrelevant because they they just they literally show the same loop. They're so patternable, you know. Um, they tend to walk. That's so the weird. Same. I
1: wonder what makes easterns different
0: uh, in that regard. I, I'd say cover and people. They're just getting hunted a lot more here. Really? Well, I mean, every block that of woods, it's got a turkey in it. You can hear it hunted. From, I mean, I, this morning, Derek and I hunted, and we could hear a turkey gobbling behind somebody's house across the road. Like, he was 900 yards away, but and he was two properties away from us, so there was no way to call him, but we heard him there. You don't think there's five other people hunting Who heard this that week too? that heard him? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Not. So, he's going to get he's gonna get pressure. Yeah. Um, and you know, Toxie Hazel, his famous saying is, if you ain't hunting your goblin turkey, somebody, somebody is. Else I mean, is. and it's true. I mean, it's... Yeah. I don't remember if it was you or somebody else. Last spring somebody said uh said I guess there's just a lot more poaching that goes on with turkeys than it does with deer, huh? And we're talking about our farm in the river bottoms. I say, Yeah, I mean if if a big buck deer stood at the property line and gobbled his head off and taunted you, people <laughs> yeah. be jumping barbed wire fences. You sure. know, what I mean it's gobbling true. turkey makes a man
1: it makes a man do some things. <laughs> exactly.
0: Question is more some kind of way. Um uh, anyways, I, but I, I think out there I don't know what makes a Rio act different than an eastern i i don't I'm not claim to understand that, but yeah anecdotally, our turkeys get a whole lot more pressure than a lot of those big western turkeys,
1: I and mean, I think you can okay, that and they're sense. and they're
0: they're staying out in the open so much of the time, and our turkeys don't I mean
1: they just have so much more open like you're
0: saying right I mean yeah. in, i mean ninety percent of their world is open, so they they roost on the edges of open, they're just used to seeing people. comfortable you know they're or not people but they see farming stuff. They, they're they different. I don't know. They're, they just act different than our birds. Okay. But, but point is, if I'm going to Kansas and I'm going to hunt, the walk-in hunting areas, they change from year to year pretty dramatically in some areas. Some areas they tend to stay the same. But um, I try to pick out a loop in the morning where I'm hunting a spot that I think they might roost. And then from there, I'm just burning up the road. Moving, moving. So I'll, and I'm not moving like super fast, but I'm, but I am moving. I'm. I'm calling and walking, calling, walking. They get back to the truck. I'm going so, to the next spot.
1: Like, what's your shot clock? I mean, I know, you know, it always depends, but, I mean, is there, like, a shot clock where it's like, okay, I'm going to spend 35 minutes at this this portion of the property, walk in, walk out, don't hear anything. Like, what's kind of, like, your smell test for, like, okay, I'm done. I'm mm. leaving. Just not hearing anything or?
0: Well, a little bit of, I'd say, I mean, I hate this answer, it's, Depends. cop out but it depends yeah okay. i mean if it's a thin stretch of woods and it's not real big okay and i feel like i can see most of it on both sides before i walk in there and i know that they're not out in the you open like it's a you kind of know what you have up to yeah. exactly so in that situation i may walk halfway down that like if it's just a long draw that's say there's tons of these they're 75 to 100 yards wide of trees and there's a creek running right down the middle of it and it's got s curves and whatever and I can drive a perimeter around it, and I can see the field on both sides of that draw. And I know that there's not something obvious standing out in the draw strutting. If there's a strutter out in the middle of the draw, I'm going to get on one in the draw. I'm going to walk up the draw and get as close as I can to him. And I'm either going to shoot him when I crawl out of the ditch, just sneak on him, or I'm going to sit down and try to call him. But I'm going to try to get as close as I can before I call it him. Got it. Th- that's obvious, right? That's just – that's just a surprise, sneak attack, right? Yeah. The, um, but but if if I don't see something obvious, <laughs> sure. Then my I mean, game...
1: optimal is strutter in a field. Like I can hunt, I can hunt that. Yeah. But I guess well, like finding the optimal
0: optimal is a strutter about ten yards off the edge of the woods with a deep ditch, and you can just like get out and crawl down there. When you pop up, boom! Shoot. It's like the face. one
1: that you shot with the Crocs when you were in the hundred <laughs> percent. Yes,
0: I was actually sitting on the edge of a public place. And, um, Joseph and Torrent were trying to kill a bird that we knew was coming to roost right there. And three birds just cut across this field and there's like a 20 foot deep ditch. And I was like, Oh, you are so dead. (laughs) I sat there and waited and waited. And then I texted them and I was like, Hey, are y'all seeing anything? They're like, Nope. And I'm like, well, these birds are coming up behind you. You're not going to have a shot at them. Do you mind if I kill them?" Sure. I jumped down and (laughs) ran. I literally sprinted 50 yards, popped up there at 25. I'm like. Hmm. Which one of you is the biggest? Boom!
1: <laughs> I'm really hoping we were faced with just such an
0: occasion. Well, the thing is, out there, I mean, you can literally go all day and not see a turkey and then have something like that happen in five minutes. Yeah. The very first time I went out there with Josh Chriswell that very thing happened. We hunted two days, did not run into a turkey, didn't see. We saw a couple old tracks, but, I mean, we weren't seeing scat. We weren't seeing signs, scratching, nothing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden at, like, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, we were doing exactly what I'm describing. We were making loops through these places. And um, and we're, like, on our way back to the truck. We're about 200 yards from the truck. And we just stopped and just kind of courtesy. Yeah, 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 yeah. One guy was at 100 yards. And Josh goes, we better sit down right here. And I'm like, no, let's find it. And he's like, sit down. We sat down by a cedar tree. And I did not even get my butt on the ground. And there he was walking up. Josh, boom. And he's like, I told you we better sit down. <laughs> Come, but, over <laughs> like, oh gosh, <laughs> Come over here and take my picture. I was like, oh, my gosh, what just happened?
1: Come over here and take my picture.
0: I swear that's how it happened. You can call Josh Criswell.
1: I'll believe it. No, I, but that's what you were saying is, like, when you hear them gobble, like, they're coming.
0: Yep, more than likely yeah. they're coming. Okay, They're either coming towards you or they're going somewhere, and, and they just got where they could hear you. So, I mean – Theoretically, so so if I drop in a spot, I'm going to call from two or three spots where I feel like everything huntable can hear me. Yeah, and, and and is in play for you. Like you don't have to. That's right.
1: You're not going to call at the bo- middle midway up a hill because you want to get up towards that so you could then know how to play. Yeah, 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 yeah. I
0: mean, I'm definitely playing geography and all that, but I come from the school. Um, my dad always loved Oral Hershiser, mm-hmm. the pitcher. And uh, read his biography, and something he said in there always kind of rung true with me, and I, and I carried in the Turkey Woods. It's kind of like every good pitcher thinks that the next pitch that he's going to throw is going to be his best. It's going to be yet. his best one yet, yeah. and is going to be and, and is unhittable. It's not whether it's his, necessarily just his best, but it's the guy standing in the batter's block cannot hit this pitch. And the moment that a pitcher in baseball starts thinking that this pitch is going to get hit, it's sort of like, like a, he's already accepted defeat. And now I know. I know. Having said that, like the baseball nerds are going to yeah. be like, "Well, sometimes they throw a pitch so that he'll hit into do a double play. That's intentional." Yeah. But but when he throws the ball, you know, Oral Hyzer had that huge stretch of scoreless innings. innings you yeah. Know, and I mean, he talks about the mental edge of he didn't think he was hittable unless he wanted to be hittable. You know what right, I mean? Unless right, he right, wanted right, to right. throw a pitch to be hit. And so, I, it's always a joke. Dad and I have like when I yelp really loud on my box call. Um, I put it in my vest and I go. Well, there's not one close enough where we can hear him gobble. Because yeah. in my mind, you have to think that there's yeah. a turkey somewhere that just gobbled at that. Like that sounded too good. There's a turkey that gobbled at that. It's just unfortunate that we're not in a situation where he can where we we're can not hear close him to gobble. Right.
1: <laughs> I mean, and I, I kind of love that. <laughs> I know
0: that's just total garbage, but no, but my, that
1: kind of like mentally my point keeps is when you you're trucking and exactly, moving and going, and
0: it keeps you throwing your best stuff out there every time. Yeah, and because and, I feel
1: like with with a hunt like like so, what we're doing. You know, we look at it and we say, okay, we've got, we're we're driving, like, we're leaving at three o'clock. <laughs> we're not crossing that bridge in Memphis because it is <laughs> apparently cracked and the condition is apparently fair. Just go across it real fast. <laughs> I don't know how far I could get. Arkansas State Troopers be waiting for yeah. me. Yeah. But, I, um, going across at Dyersburg? Yeah, we're going across to Dyersburg. But, um, But we feel like we've got all this time. We're like, we got all day Friday, we got all day Saturday, we can hunt real quick Sunday morning. But if you kind of get into that bad headspace of, gosh, you You know, we picked the wrong spot. Like that time can just leach away from you. Everybody,
0: everybody does it different. Yeah. Okay. Some people are like, man, I'm on a heater. You know, everything I throw at them, you know, they die. Some people are, are kind of the doom, the, you know always pessimistic about, man, I just can't ever like, find one that wants to cooperate. And that guy's killed 12 this year, you know. But Like
1: Boozer's friend from <laughs> – I, I forgot. Uh, oh, Brett? Yeah, Brett. Who was saying he's, that, like, yeah, he he's always not, find a reason why they're not going to gobble. Yeah, right, day. right, yeah. right.
0: He's not exactly a pessimist, but he's just a – He's an over-analytical. But everybody has a different middle game they play. Sure, sure. My encouragement to you, being a greenhorn, is you need to think that every yelp that you make is the finest yelp that that gobbler's ever heard. And so the reason I say that is because if I walk into a block of woods, just a little strip, a a draw in between two fields, I know that there's nothing in the fields, and I walk 100 yards in there and the draw goes another 400. I know my call can carry 400. If I walk 100 yards in there and I yelp and he doesn't gobble – I can't deal with he didn't like that enough to gobble. Yeah. So I'd rather tell myself he's not there. Yeah. No. So I go in there and I yelp. He doesn't gobble. No problem. I just have to go to the next spot. It's, okay. like, it's like a sales proposition, right? Like every time you get told no, you're one closer to being told yes. And True. so every time you walk yeah. in and you make a nice yelp you're, and you don't get gobbled and don't kill, you're that much closer to killing one to the next one, and that's what Tom Kelly says. I mean, hmm. you you pay for your turkeys yep. in, in time, yeah, in hind end meat. In you know, I mean, meat. you 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 put in the time, you know, in the rear end leather, and just sitting there and earning it. You know, you, you, you that's it's paid for with the currency of time. Period. And so um, people don't see that. You know, I mean, they don't. Um, they see you kill. Ten or eleven or twelve or whatever it is, and they think, "Golly, that's one lucky song gum." But they don't see the other twenty-seven mornings of scouting or other things that went into that success. So, or heck, just the years of the
1: years of experience
0: doing and getting beat and all that. Yes, yeah. it's, it's
1: almost this. This could sound like a huge duh, like that time Ben said, "I hope I get this right." <laughs> but it, it kind of seems like it's one of those things where it's 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 less about knowing where to go. And it's more about where knowing where not to go. Yeah, it's it's eliminating like, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Eliminating and, places.
0: And you and you'll get I mean you'll when what'll happen is you'll run into a gobbler somewhere and when you get done, he'll probably win the first time and, mm-hmm. and maybe not, but when lose or draw, you gotta sit back and go, Okay, where was he? And what did he do? And what could I have done different? And yep. once you there's a certain number of times that you do that, they still win. But you start winning more of the more. battles than they do. <laughs> yeah. I mean you don't ever fully figure it out. I mean yeah. they you still you still just get stymied because they're at the end of the day they're not rocket scientists, they're just little birds that are scared to death. Everything in their world's tried to eat them since they were, <laughs> since an they egg. were a pole, yeah um and so I mean they're just scared and okay but anyways, all that being said, I would just I'd make me a route and I'd make me a route that consisted of pretty good spot to roost hunt in the morning. Bunch of big trees, and I'd and and along the day, along the way, I'd be looking at the base of all the big trees, and you'll find a roost. And when you find a roost that's got a whole bunch of turkey scat underneath it, if you get two and a half, three hours from the end of the day, and you got nothing, you know, you get to three o'clock in the afternoon, and you're literally completely struck out, and you're discouraged. I'd go sit on that roost tree, and you know, I mean, that's that's a pretty good shot. Okay. Um because roosting opportunities out there in most of those areas are pretty limited. Now eastern Kansas is different. It's it's big trees, big mm. big woods, mm-hmm. but you get you get 70 80 miles west of the Missouri border, you're starting to get into or a sparse western, trees. Exactly. And so that just limits where they can roost.
1: Yeah. So, I
0: guess another thing cuz And then the other thing is when I'm on the road, okay. I try really hard to be in the woods till dark or until Roost. I don't always watch them fly up, but a turkey's most of those turkeys are going to be close to their roost tree an hour or more before fly up.
1: So, if you even if you saw them and they were like going over a ridge and you weren't close, not a ridge, I don't know if they (laughs) have ridges, tons of rolling hills, but rolling hills. But even if you weren't close enough to make a play, that's still like if it's closer towards the end of the day, that's still where you would go back the next morning because you know. That they're in the they're in the ball game.
0: Well, yeah, it depends on what time. If you're talking about like five thirty, six o'clock at night, he's walking towards a little block of woods, and you're looking at that block of woods, and there's no way you can make a play on him. Yeah, because you'd have to walk past him to get to those woods. Let's just say, okay, sure. Like he's or just he's be in way a big exposed open, for too long. And, right. Yeah. I mean, but you'll see a lot of them where like you're you're on a road, he's out in the middle of a field, and there's a tree line in the distance and he's going to that tree line. You can't get to that tree line from the back. So you're just sitting there watching him. So in that case, I would probably, depending on how long it was till dark, if I knew he was in that field and I knew he's probably safe until fly-up time, I'd probably go check some other spots and come back and make sure he roosts there. But if I had the opportunity to watch a bird fly up that I can't hunt, I would stay there and own that bird until I put him to bed on that limb. And the next morning, I'd make sure that He's smelling my breath and his <laughs> when he opens his eyes for the first Perfect. time. I okay. Mean, now, that doesn't always work out. Sure. But there's nothing in the turkey world that's higher odds. Than knowing where he went to bed. knowing, well, knowing where he's roosted and having the opportunity to get up before he does because you can get in his grill. And, and he, sometimes they fly down other ways. I mean, you can spook him in the dark. You can still mess that up. Yeah. But, I mean, nothing's as... They're pretty dang vulnerable when they're on the limb and they fly down. If you know what limb they're on,
1: right? Yeah, just put more more of the odds in your favor.
0: Right, that way. Right. Okay. So that's the way I would hunt. I'd have I'd start marking my map of places that look like on the map. They've got big draws. Yeah. Big because big draws are going to have big trees, and big trees are where those western turkeys are okay. going to want to roost.
1: Is it in terms of limited time? It's not like we're going out for a week where we can really focus on like one area for a while, another area for another while. If we find a place that
0: we feel like is good, is it better to just stay? If you have three days. depends Ah, on how how good. You're right. And that's where, that's where turkey hunting is woodsmanship. Yeah. I mean, a good turkey hunter over time, you learn what kind of sign you're looking at. Sure. So you can tell the difference between old scratching and new scratching. You come across spot where it looks like they turned those leaves up five minutes ago, you know, you're in turkeys you know, in that kind of scratching, feathers and just, you know, fresh tracks right after rain, like trying to age the tracks. One thing you know about a turkey track when you see it on the ground, he didn't make it at night like a deer. He's not a mythical creature that lives in the cloak of darkness. You know, he, he, made, that, he <laughs> yeah. made that while it was broad daylight, and you could have killed him if you'd have been there when he made that track. So tracks are really, I mean, they're super simple, but they tell you something. And the difference between a hen track and a gobbler track Middle, middle finger on a gobbler track will always be bigger. Hen track is more symmetrical. Hmm. You know, like her left and right toes are going to be yeah more similar shape to her, to her middle <laughs> toes. So being able to say, oh, that's a gobbler. He was walking that direction. And then think about the lay of the land and how old that was. Like, I mean, if it's super dry, it's pretty hard to get much info from a track. But you get a little misty rain. And you can see the, the joints in the bottom of his feet and the little dimples from like, <laughs> like that's smell that fresh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean and I mean again, my daddy always said one thing you know about that track is he did make it at night and that sounds silly, but like you can see a big deer track and you may never see that deer in that spot because yeah. he may have made it any number of nights while you weren't there. Sure. But a turkey doesn't do that. He does it in the daylight. So he might literally be on the back side of that big tree right there or just yeah. around that corner. So You know, depending on how fresh the tracks are, if I was struggling, and I got to a block of woods and I saw just incredibly fresh sign, and I was even slightly discouraged, I would put a decoy out, I'd make a good hide, and I'd sit and I'd call, and I would call in a place if I could where the wind was behind me, okay, because it blows my sound into a place. So I love to call with the wind at my back, so that everything I'm hunting in front of me, I have wind at my advantage for what I can yep. for what they can hear. You know what I mean? I'm because I'm, I'm again I'm trolling. So I'm just trying to get my sound out it's there. Like as these far are the as it these are be. the things that are just so helpful to just kinda of think about like
1: okay. Like I feel like
0: that And it and all those things don't always work. I mean they, oh, they, sure. it's, it's any combination of it's always a chess match. But but I mean at the end of the day, if I pull up to a block of woods and have the choice if I have equal access from the north and the south and yeah. the wind's out of the north I'm going to start from the north because I've got the wind behind my calling the whole time versus starting on the south.
1: Gosh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It depends things, on how
0: much wind, too. If it's dead still, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But but
1: if it's like 10 and up, you're like, okay,
0: yeah. going this way. <laughs> and then also you got to look at the neighbors. Some places it's obvious there's 20 acres of trees on this walk-in area and the neighbor to the north Has 500 acre of just a square of trees, and the neighbor to the south has nothing. Well, more than likely, there's going to be a turkey in that 500 acre block of woods. May not be a gobbler, but there's going to be a turkey up there, and Hmm. you know, because there's cover versus the guy to the south is pasture. And then, and then you got pasture and ag, like like tall grass pasture. Probably you know might be a hen here and there, but you're probably not going to find a gobbler out there because it's just tall grass. I mean, it's. I mean, he he might walk through it, but more than likely, he's going to be in an ag field somewhere that just had corn planted, you know, or tilled up dirt. Like they like clean stuff, you know. Yeah. Okay. It's a lot to work with. I mean, yeah. the coolest thing about turkey hunting, though, different than ducks, different than waterfowl, really, is that I feel like if if you're out there and you're analytical about what's going on, but not don't be so analytical that that you're forcing your lessons, mm-hmm. you'll just kind of like absorb it. She'll teach you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you'll learn. And now you may not learn on this three day trip. You may go out there and literally get your head kicked in. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm
1: fully expecting that. Uh, like we're, you
0: know, we're. But again, you're you're paying in the currency of time. Yeah. At that point, I feel
1: like with with turkey hunting though, there's a there's part. I guess it's different than duck hunting or goose or what anything else like that. Is there? A mo- I feel like there are more things that you can do to level the playing field, meaning. Because you're both literally working 100%. on the same plane. Like, you're both dealing with, so, like, the similar environment. Yes, they can fly. Yes, they can run. But, like.
0: They can't migrate.
1: Well, they can't just, like, fly way high and get a good look. You know, the same way, that, like, with ducks or something else. It's like, there is kind of yeah, more of that chess match where you can, there are, you, you can take a lot more of the hunt into your own hands mm-hmm. as opposed to hope we are where they want to be and I hope the calling is sufficient to mm-hmm. if they don't want to be here already mm-hmm. to change their mind. Yeah.
0: So yeah, it's completely. It's pretty hard to compare the dynamic between the two of them. It, it, um, you know, really good calling is a significant advantage in turkey hunting. You can be the greatest waterfowl caller on the face of the earth, and I mean, I'm a call maker, so this probably shouldn't say this, but <laughs> location tends to outweigh calling in yeah. waterfowl hunting. I mean. I mean, I don't blow a very good goose call, and I have absolutely beat the ever-loving breaks off of Canada geese because they pattern so well. Yes, they know? do. And I yeah. can kill them without ever clucking on my goose call. I mean, I cluck because it seems like what you're supposed to do, you know. Goose,
1: kind of sporty
0: But most of the time, Dylan's looking at me like, put that thing down, stop, making noise, you know. Turkeys are not that way. I mean, you can kill a turkey without calling, but, a, but good calling overcomes significant obstacles and i say that to just say practice i mean practicing your turkey calling is really important hunting with guys who are good callers you'll 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 watch and see turkeys just react different when they yell at them they can make noises that make turkeys gobble almost every time
1: oh just also
0: watching live birds like if you
1: have a chance where you've got hens out in front of you just listen and pay attention Mm -hmm. to what they're doing and that's
0: right they're always (laughs) making noise and you'll hear a lot of the old timers say things like, ah, you're calling too much. And that's the probably the number one indictment you'll hear of, say, Dave Owens or or some of the other popular guys out there right now that are putting themselves out there. You'll hear people say and you'll read in comments, man, he calls way too much. Come down to South Alabama, you can't call like that, boy. You know. <laughs> and it's like, no, that's not true. Like you can't call like he can, you know. So if you can call like he can, you can get away with it a lot of calls sure if you sound like you old buddy you're <laughs> right you probably have to put that yelper in your vest and just wait That's you not, know so
1: well it's the it's the variety um so when on my hunt the one that we're toasting here by mm-hmm. the way it's still very good but so on my hunt i have like this this 30 minute long video of this hen that was in front of
0: us she was making noise just entire the entire time. time. And it's not always like loud yelping, like meow, meow, meow,
1: meow, meow. No, it's like it's all these like purrs and bubble clubs and just, clubs and just, constant just making little noises. Yep. Constant. Yep. Yep. Never
0: stopped. Yep. So anyways, it, it, well, cool. So keep practicing. And then I would just say, Man, just, you know, try to get close. One gobbles, try to get close. Don't be seen. You're gonna bump him. Yeah. My experience has been that. If a turkey turns and walks away from you fast or runs away from you, he's boogered. If he's boogered, you might as well pack your stuff up and go to the next one. Right. They don't just calm down. <laughs> they might in two hours. <laughs> yeah. But but they have this it's weird, yeah, they they have this weird steel trap of a mind. You can move 50 yards and call him back to that tree. But if you don't get up and move, he ain't coming back within gunshot of that tree. I mean – so, you booger him from a spot, you might as well get up and move on. I mean, mm. let him walk off and then circle around him, coming at him from a different angle. But their, their brain can't.
1: But if he thinks there's something dangerous over there, correct. he's like, nope. Correct. Nope.
0: He, he, he doesn't think, oh, that's a hunter. He's going to make a half circle around me. He thinks some boogeyman's at that tree right there. I'm never going to that tree again. And probably for the rest of his life, I think he walks a semicircle around that <laughs> tree. I mean, I, I, I legit think that. But I think you could move seven or eight trees over, calling him from a different angle, and he's like, huh, there, There's another him that showed up. Hey, hey, howl. hey, girl, hey." You know, I mean, like and it's a whole new ball game. Once okay. he calms down, yeah, you without. know.
1: Okay, that's a good thing to think about too.
0: But like when he starts walking off, don't don't try to overcall him. Just like let him walk on off and make a circle around him. Okay, reposition. Got it. Super super fragile at that point. <laughs> I'm just excited. I mean,
1: we're trying to fight the things. Like Ray and I, we'll, we'll hype each other up like way too much. <laughs> so we're talking. We're like, Ray, listen, man, it's it's 11 hours to where we're going. That means we can get there about 6 a.m. We'll be we'll be we'll be a little late when we won't get fly down, but we can we can kind of work out there. So then we'll double up, and then it's only six hours to where we could go in Nebraska to shoot a Merriam. So we then we can go oh shoot Mariam, and then wait, wait, hold on, if we get him by lunch. Then we could probably get to Florida.
0: <laughs> and
1: yeah, do the y'all, y'all got y'all
0: got uh, <laughs> I can't help you with all that. <laughs> oh me, I I would I would start hyping each other up for. We're probably not going to see any turkeys. The turkey population is in significant decline. The, it's, if it's, we see a turkey, it will be a raving success. So the conversation <laughs> has
1: slowly pivoted towards that. I think I think I think the uh, single season slam in three days. Got us real hyped up for for
0: going. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: now we're kind of like, I don't know, man. I hope they you have know, gas in I don't, Kansas. I
0: don't, I, I, not, to, not to get on the single-season slam in three days thing, because I know that that guy who did that this this spring, I know he raised a lot of money for a good cause, and I, I think that's cool to anything. But there's a part of that that's kind of like, to me, defeats some of the romance of, mm. of, of turkey hunting. Because one of my favorite things about spring, it's it's a bittersweet thing, but every month of spring is different. And there's like a different turkey in every month that is ideal. Like March is, I mean, the Osceola owns March. Okay. And the end of March starts, he, Mr. Florida turkey starts handing it off to South Georgia and South Alabama and, and Mississippi. And he hands it off to his buddy that's the eastern. The only other bird that you should be shooting that early in March is the is the Rios that live on the Texas-Mexico line, like in South Texas. Sure. April is kind of like the month where everything's fair game. Merriam's are starting to gobble because they kind of gobble all the time. They're knuckleheads, you know. <laughs> but Rios are in across yeah. Oklahoma and Western Kansas and, and Texas, and, and then all the Easterns are basically gobbling at some point in the month of, of April. But then you start getting into May, and there's a whole bunch of the, the Florida turkeys are done, there's a whole bunch of the Easterns that are basically done, and as you get later in May, there's more and more Easterns that are done and and Rios and more and more Merriams. so so like there's like kind of like
1: this slow fade out it's a,
0: exactly and there's yeah. a there's a progression and so to me and I, again, I'm just speaking for me, I'm not knocking anybody that's done it in a week or in three days, but it it it, it I'll probably catch heat for this, but it kind of cheapens the the cool experience of the single of season slam just like slam. savoring it exactly um i mean i just think that there's it's it doesn't last long enough you know it's too short it. yeah i mean i just don't understand why it's got to be so I, the year in 2018 i killed my first slam uh, in a in a season and i killed a bird in march, april, may and june and i killed was
1: that june one, the one up in may uhhuh yeah
0: um, and I, I mean, that's just a little thing, but I thought that was pretty cool. You know, I shot a different subspecies in all four months. Um, now in the month of April, I shot a Rio and an Eastern and I, and in May, I shot a Merriam and an Eastern. And then in June, I shot an Eastern, but each one of those months had a unique subspecies in it for,
1: uh, yeah. And in, in a different, mm-hmm.
0: area. and I shot the first one, March the 8th or 6th or yeah. something. And I shot the last one June the second. Like that's a the, the world changes between it does fifth of March and June the second. Like,
1: like well, there's a part of me too because like I guess I hear because I guess I have certain ambitions later that for projects I want to do or things I want to try to do. Where kind of makes me kind of be like, oh okay, well never mind. I'm not going to try that thing. But I mean, I, I get the I, I totally understand what you're saying about I just think spreading there's spreading it a, out and there's and kind of a dignity to the. There's a
0: dignity to the bird and to the process. Mm. And also, I think it just kind of goes hand in hand with spring. I mean, spring's a development, right? When we first start spring, when we first start spring, there's no leaves on any of the trees. And the grass is not even green, it's just onions and a few clovers. (laughs) You know what I mean? Then you get to this time of year and it's obsession and shadow leaf. You know, it's green, bright colored. Like the woods are completely different right now than they were huh just think about youth weekend youth weekend it was cold here we were wearing long johns it's and like it was thinking about snow and spitting snow i mean it was cold there were snakes weren't even out you know they were doing dorm- and now today it's like 85 90 degrees there's mosquitoes everywhere there's snakes everywhere it's a completely different environment and it's there's a i just think part of spring is is this i'm gonna get romantic on you here but part of spring is like we survived winter I think there's even though we're overly civilized and we live in insulated houses with central heat <laughs> and air, there's a part of us humanity that's like with we're still ha- we're still fragile to to winter. You know, winter's yeah. symbolic of death and and everything goes dormant or dies in the wintertime, in the fall and winter, and then spring is like <sighs> there's like this exhale. We made it. You it happens like, again, and there's new yeah. life. And so all around <laughs> us, it's flowers that are blooming. And it's different kinds of flowers throughout the spring. They don't all just – it doesn't happen overnight. Like, there's a progression.
1: Well, also, too, the thing that I – when I think about spring, I always think about, like, yellow top. Yeah. And, and like, cardinals. Sure. I, that's, what I, that's what I always think about because that's about the only time you ever hear them calling that much, and that's about the only time you ever see fields, yep. ag fields that are just yep. covered in that yellow
0: top. And that's our – that's that's something we own in this part of the world. Yeah. I mean, that yellow top's cool. It's a different color. And, and you know what? In a couple weeks – you won't have to mow that yellow top. It's gone. Yeah. It, just, it just fades away. And yeah. so I think there's, like, hmm. like I think it's great that a guy can jump on a jet and shoot one in Florida, Alabama, whatever, and South Dakota. Like, good good for you. But, man, you asked me what's the most romantic thing for me. The most romantic thing for me is I'd like to shoot the first one in March in Florida, and I'd like to shoot the last one available goblin in, in, June. in, in, in May 31st or June. Like, I'd like to – I'd like to be the bookends and enjoy the whole process. Okay. And I'd like to, when the first one dies, I'd like to feel like I got the first one before everybody else. (laughs) And when the last one dies, I'd like to think, you know what, I'm the guy who who survived it to the end. I mean.
1: Okay. I like that. And,
0: and I mean, that's selfish. I mean, you can't, it's not all about you. But, but to me, that's the cool part of the slam is not just it, The coolest thing about a single-season slam is you've experienced all four of the subspecies in the same calendar year. And if you're going to do that, do it to its hilt. Kill the Mm -hmm. Florida turkey when he's at his prime, when he's just on the front end. I think that's a really good – And kill the Marion when when he's he's at his prime. His prime. And kill the Eastern at some point when he's hot and bothered. I mean – I mean, cause, cause truth is you could just
1: run around killing stuff. Yeah. I
0: mean, you, you, yeah. if you wanted to deer hunt them, you could find them in November in all four of those different places. Cause they don't migrate. They stay there. It just wouldn't be the same experience. I mean, that's not, we don't, we don't go turkey hunting in the fall because we like to hear them gobble. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what we're there for. And so.
1: Mm. Okay. That's a I, shift for me. Anyways, I like that's, it.
0: that's, that's my, that's my thought processes. I, I like, I like the journey. I think there's, there's, there's beauty in the journey. I like the, I like the progression, man. Okay, It's a process. And when you string it out like that, you know what happens when you kill that last one in June you're like, dang, I don't know how we got to June this fast. Are we yeah, I sure am glad to hang that vest up <laughs> and like enjoy some time at the lake and barbecue and like catching up on life. like you yeah got to give it all you got. It's like we said a couple weeks ago, you know when it's wintertime. Man, I'm so glad it's winter time. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. springtime. Like, it's like it's springtime again. It's summertime again. Like just enjoy the moment.
1: Enjoy, it, enjoy where you're at. I was talking. We were Ben and I were on on Lauren's podcast the other day. Oh yeah, her thing is like, or I guess that she's up, like a thing that she's thinking about lately is like, be where your boots are at. Yep, exactly. I it's mean like, that's a great. Okay. Yep, that's and great. It's just not trying to wish the time away where you are, and it's not trying to. Because man, like, time
0: flies. Time flies. If you're you can about read
1: to... this thing that that I just handed you, yeah. twenty three years later, does it feel like you wrote this paper twenty three years ago?
0: No, no. And I don't remember writing anything in it. I remember putting, I remember photocopying those pictures and cutting them out yeah. for the cover sheet. But yeah. that's about the only thing I, I remember.
1: Mean, time really does
0: move. It flies.
1: <laughs> you're not yeah, getting more it flies. of it. No. So enjoy it, and
0: it do does. It I mean, yeah, it really does. We're beating a dead horse, but it, it time flies, and you can't. You know, we spend all our time wishing for the next moment ahead of us. And and the, and the older I get, the more I find myself going, golly, I just need to savor this moment. You know, I mean. Yeah, be where your boots just, are. Yeah, that, that's, that's really. I'm embarrassed I haven't listened to enough of her episodes to have heard that a whole bunch. I'm sorry, Lauren, if you listen to this point in the podcast, I'm sorry. But that is very wise beyond her years, and that's good advice. Be where your boots are at
1: try to take it to heart this season. So. Good. Speaking of uh going to bed, is it time. I think <laughs> it <sounds laughs> good. bad segue. But uh is there anything you want to as a final note? Final over. Oh man, to the folks? I don't know.
0: Things are man, things are hopping, we're uh call company is just blowing and going. We're we've got a giant order due. By the end of May for duck calls for this fall, um, I think you'll see you know, we've built six brand new injection molds. Um, you'll see six polycarbonate calls. We're we're kind of taking a line from Justin Timberlake. We're bringing poly back. Um, we're making poly sexy again, making it making it great. Um, but you'll see in all your big box retailers, Bass Pro, Cabela's, Sportsman's Warehouse. Um, Uh, what's the other one Um, academy shields almost all your big retail stores you'll see some assortment of those six poly calls so we're we're really excited about that they look great they're american made um um i have not gotten a final product from them to test but back it would be 11 years ago this october so it it was october of 2010 we did the first kind of video that we did that put us on the map was we put a polycarbonate mold, injection molded BSOD on concrete, drove over it with a half ton pickup truck, picked it up and blew the call. And kind of the point of the marketing pitch was it's called tough. And that was the knock on alts was that they weren't tough, right? They're yeah. fragile. And so we've, we've invested heavily in these injection molds so that, we can build a more durable product at a lower price point. But I, I'm i pretty – I'm not pretty confident. I'm extremely confident. I'm actually absolutely certain at a lower price point, we'll, we'll be able to offer a higher quality call because of the improved efficiencies in manufacturing. Yeah. And we did that in America, which costs a lot more, but I'm very proud of that. Um, it's actually being done in Texas. Um, and – yeah, I, it'll That's be awesome. it's going to be a fun fall. You're going to see it everywhere. And,
1: and some new calls that we're not ready to introduce yet, but yeah. that will be out there. One, are
0: they among the six? One no, no. One brand new acrylic call um that I think's going to it's going to be rocking pretty. Whew. It's going to be pretty hot. But the six are basically uh, I mean, I can tell you it's a we we redid the original mostly just in looks and and with a new mold, but it's going to have some vintage typing on it like the, the, the way the call is labeled is not going to have the Rolling Thunder logo and it's going to have just text kind of a lot of um, the old, old calls. Sure. You know, kind of a throwback. Then it's just hot. And um, so we did one with the original, one with the 45, and one with the two-stroke. I'm pumped about the two-stroke. It sounds awesome. We've built um, we've built pretty really, really high-end um, reed presses, which... Will improve our efficiency with tuning. Um, but primarily, what that does is it means that you can buy a call here in Memphis and you can call your buddy in, you know, Bozeman, Montana, and he can go to his store and buy one and they're gonna be exactly the same because injection molding is so much more consistent than turning. Cold, no, cold molding. Okay, cold molding. With silicone molds um, and with these reed punches. Not only do we have a more consistent call product, we have an exact and precise read pre-cut for both calls. So both calls are going to sound exactly the same. They're exactly the same, both in dimensions, but the reads are the same. There's not a whole bunch of trimming to try to adjust to you to, or the, to? to the sound. To the sound, okay. Um, and there's a lot of variance in silicone cold molding calls. So I'm really excited. I, I know we've just gone down a list of, of down a rabbit trail of, of crazy. No, I mean, this stuff, is awesome. But, um, you'll see them, every, you'll see them all over the place. I mean, we've, okay. we've sold the snot out of them and it's been fantastic. And Turkey calls did great. Um, we got our numbers back from bash pro. I don't know, two weeks ago. And we it was like a, over a 90% sell through, which was just blew their minds. I mean, it was, and the cool thing about that was that almost Pretty much all of our skus sold. We didn't have any losers, and we were yeah. kind of expecting between you know if we gave them twenty five skus, we were expecting you always expect three or four of them are just kind of the duds, and I mean, then you've got a few that
1: not for any particular reason, just because it's just the number that's there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
0: But but um, there was none of that, and so uh, we we just sold through everything. And
1: I mean, at any t- I mean, I had people sending me pictures from past pros to other and other places, and be like. There's one call left. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, well, you better buy it. Empty shelves, right. I mean, And
0: and we'll see. Next spring will be pretty exciting. We're adding a couple. We've got a bunch of new turkey stuff coming. um, That'll be super exciting as well. But um, they'll carry more, and so they won't run out. You know, they they gambled big on us, and we heavily invested in marketing and put – I mean, we did a good job with our sound files, and we did a good job of – um, tying those geographically to where the stores were and like our whole marketing plan just we executed it really well and and uh, that probably sounds like bragging but I'm really proud of our team we did a dang good job of executing on that and we've just kind of barely scratched the surface with Rogue Hunt so with Chasing Spring and um, you know I mean it's pretty crazy Chasing Spring did 18 episodes in season 2 um, and they did They've done 13 or 14 for Season 3, which will air 22. Rogue Hunts is currently sitting on about 14 episodes from this which, spring. Which, like, eight of them have come out so far, right? And I think today we – yesterday we published 10. <gasps> Too bad. Um, so and, – and and we've got three or four in the, in the can, just trying to get them out there. But, um, I mean, when I look at 2020 and 2021, I mean, I'm just so – elated with where we're at as a call company. I mean, we've, we're, we've become the premier partner of the big retail stores, the brick and mortar, which is, where, uh, is it, it's counterintuitive to kind of the current trend in the market. Everybody's going direct to consumer. But we made a decision a couple of years ago to invest in our web sales, invest in, in, invest in direct to consumer, but we made a conscious decision to never let that be more than about 30% of our sales. And the reason was because we felt like that the long-term prospect of doing dealer business and supporting dealers and being their preferred vendor with a quality product in both waterfowl and Turkey, kind of a one-stop shop, if you will. Yeah. We felt like that that was the best business plan for a couple of reasons. One is it gives us the greatest exposure, but two, if you look at the world and think about economies, both global economies, national economies, and then local economies, I mean, unfortunately, direct-to-consumer sales doesn't do much to stimulate local economies. But if I put, uh, you know, 30 SKUs on a Bash Pro Shop shelf in, you know, wherever, Birmingham, Alabama, when someone goes into that store and buys those calls, there's somebody that works stocking that shelf. There's somebody that works as the cash register. There's somebody that's cleaning the toilets yeah. and sweeping the floors at night. There's like four or five different jobs that that supports. Not to sure. mention, there's a local utility company that's <laughs> providing utilities there. I mean, they're really like like no, you can you can blow on. it out it, out of proportion, but in a real way, when you provide when you provide a really high quality product in a brick and mortar store in a world where everybody just orders stuff off Amazon and, and moves on, yeah. I I feel I can go to sleep at night feeling like I did something good in a whole bunch of local economies across the world because when or not the world, but across the country because. When you go in there, you don't just buy one $10 mouth call. You, you end up buying a box of shells do this, and a do shirt this. and a jacket or a pair of pants yep. or just a sack of candy or whatever you buy, you know? Well,
1: there's also you, this part where I guess if you go into a store like that, there's kind of like the experience of it.
0: Mm-hmm. And you're with other hunters and you meet people and you talk to people or there's other stuff that happens. And how many times do you just go there on your lunch break? It's like you just want to get out. Yeah. Like, you know, take a break. And so... Anyways, we made a very conscious decision. I'm not saying people are wrong for going direct to consumer at all. I'm just saying that for Rolling Thunder Game Calls, we made a decision to be a high-quality turkey brand, a very high-quality waterfowl brand, and we decided. I made this decision in the fall of 2010 when I built my business. It's always been about supporting dealers. I just haven't had the opportunity and the platform to support national level that dealers, much. Yeah. the way i have the last three or four years yeah but i've always oriented my business towards it's fine if you want to buy it off the website but i would prefer if you got it in the store yeah then they can try I mean, there's it there's something that's it. always can... cool about i have it now yep. <laughs> it's something yeah.
1: about like picking it up get it on the shelf yeah Get in the car, yeah, popping it in. And the I car. mean,
0: how many times do people they're hitting the road, they lost their mouth calls, they whatever they you know, they swing through, or they know they're going to see somebody and they call and they talk. And for long, that guy's like, Hey, swing by and pick me out of blah blah blah, whatever it is, whether it's a call or bullets or, yep. you know, or so. Any, anyways, that, that was a giant rabbit trail to just say that the call, <laughs> it's
1: been a minute. We <laughs> yeah, had yeah. yeah, that's
0: right, that's right. I, I deserved it, earned that one, but the, the call companies just. Doing great, and I'm, awesome. I'm very excited about that, and I'm um, so proud of our guys. We're between Aaron and Russ and Jake um, and Morgan and Miss Wanda. It's crazy. I mean, that's that's five, five, people. five people that are full-time, you know, working in the call company, and I remember when it was podcast. just – They would be glad to do it. I mean, um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's still just it, – it's hard for me to when I see it, I, I I feel like an old man when I walk through there because I'm just always like man I can't, I can't believe there's more than one person doing this. I can't <laughs> believe it. it's not in the garage and I can't. I mean, because I'm so like it's just
1: well just walking back to where they all are on the shelves. I mean Morgan, like,
0: that's amazing. Morgan packed and shipped internet orders and dealer orders, and she has had she she's the most efficient, hardest working person we've ever had, and and she has worked a full eight plus hour day, five to six days a week since like middle of December shipping turkey calls. Like I never dreamed that we would get to a place where we had one person who's that like was packaging the orders. She's not building calls. She's not really even putting them in the clam shells. Somebody else was doing that. She's just literally pulling off the shelf, putting them in boxes, like. That that is mind blowing to me, and and I'm, I mean I say all that to just say I'm incredibly grateful, I'm incredibly grateful for the support um, that the industry has shown us and our customers have shown us. I, I feel like it really validates a lot of the effort that we've put into it because mm-hmm. it it says that we're not just popular or cool. Like it says we're actually putting something out there that's a quality product and that people like. People. That it, yeah. you know, it sounds good and, and all and it's effective, all that kind of stuff and. um, I mean, there's so many people that deserve credit for that, between Adam and John and Josh and Hunter and, I mean, all the hunters. (laughs) Wallace, help Steve. I mean, just you can go down the list. I'm sure I just left a couple of them out. But, um, man, we've really chased this rabbit around 27 circles. But I I am very genuine when I say I'm incredibly optimistic about the future and I'm incredibly grateful for where we're at right now because it is – I couldn't have been my wildest dreams imagined that we would be where we are in 2021. I mean, it's it's, it's been a big year. So look for look for calls. They're shipping out the end of May waterfowl calls, and they'll be available in all those stores. I guess in July, June, July. Okay, so cool, pretty sweet,
1: awesome, <laughs> man.
0: Hope you get one in Kansas, big guy. Man, me too. Y'all got a. Y'all got a steep hill in front of you I don't think you know what you're getting into <laughs> we don't <laughs> that's good we
1: don't that's the best kind because you're just because you're not dumb enough to know you shouldn't do it So that's exactly right <laughs> it might pay she'll, off it might she'll not
0: she'll teach you and man at the end of the day a thing accomplished is sweet to the soul sweet to the soul nothing worth having comes easy man
1: <laughs> that's
0: awesome <laughs> here's to another one
1: hey cheers <laughs> thanks for joining us for another episode of the Rolling Thunder podcast
0: we'll see you on the next one see you later